Good morning and welcome to East Tennessee Now, a weekly public affairs program featuring some of the people and organizations that make our community such a great place to live, work, and raise a family. Here's your host for East Tennessee Now. Good morning and thank you so much for joining me. I'm Michelle Silva. Did you know that the state of Tennessee has more than 50 rivers and countless lakes. Yes, we're surrounded by so many beautiful ones. Norris, Douglas, Watts Bar, Loudoun. And it is finally lake season here in East Tennessee. This morning we're joined by Matt Cameron, who is the spokesperson for Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, also known as TWRA on Safe Boating Season. Also includes kayaks and canoes. And Matt says they're always concerned, first and foremost, about that first time you get the boat in the water for new season. Yeah, it's always a concern when folks get their boat out for the first time of the year because they've been sitting in storage and uh, they may not be you know, ready to go out there because you know, things things happen on a the boat. There are a lot of components, fuel lines and um, all sorts of things that can go bad in the off season. So just yeah, check them out and make sure your boat is seaworthy and uh, make sure there's no leaks um, in, in gas lines because we just had a boat explosion a couple of days ago on the uh, Cumberland River near Clarksville where a lady lost her life when uh, they fueled their cabin cruiser up and started it and just, just got underway and there must have been a gas leak in that thing and it blew up and um, ended up killing her. So, yeah, please inspect your boat and uh, just make sure it's ready to go to the water before you get out there. But people who own boats should already be aware of these things you should but you'd be surprised um you know a lot of folks will just assume that everything's in there from last season so yeah please uh please check make sure your safety equipment's in there and that it hasn't dry rotted you know boats are in a wet environment and uh, they get moist inside and compartments and your, your life jackets can can mold and mildew and um just deteriorate on you so get your equipment out and make sure it's in good shape and know where everything's at on the boat and you know furthermore we always um, encourage people to wear their life jackets while boating in tennessee um you know an accident's unpredictable you know you're, you're going to end up in the water suddenly and it's it's too late to put a life jacket on once that happens so if you wear it you've already got it on uh, your chances of surviving a boating incident are just infinitely greater than if you don't have it on just like a seat belt in a car it's too late to put it on after the accident's over that does make sense, but how often do you really see adults wearing their life jackets while, you know, on a boat? You know, unfortunately, it's not um, not a high percentage. So for me to put a personal number on it, I would say 25% of adults probably wear their life jackets on the water. Um, you know, kids have to wear them until they turn the age of 13, so we do get pretty good compliance on children 12 and under you know, wearing their life jackets. So parents ought to take a, a lesson from the kids. You know, we don't lose many children in boating incidents, and that's a great, great thing. And the reason for that is that they've, they've got their life jacket on, and if that boat sinks or turns over or they're ejected, they're floating, and, and mom and dad may not be. So take a lesson from the kids and wear your jacket as well. And it's also a great way to encourage them to wear theirs. If you're saying, hey, it's important to me that I'm going to have mine on, and they'll say, Gosh, you know, mom and dad are wearing theirs. I need to wear mine, too. So set a good example for them. Right. 
And Matthew, what are the main causes of most incidents on the water? Well, the main cause of most deaths on the water is drowning. I think uh, 80% of people who die in boating accidents drown. And I think the, the number is 90% of those who drown aren't wearing a life jacket. So if we can keep people inside their boat, first of all, and we can keep life jackets on them, second of all, we can save most people in boating accidents because we just we find ourselves uh, suddenly in the water and unexpectedly in the water. And uh, if, if you don't have a life jacket on and you, you don't have a way to, uh, to get on top of the boat or the boat sinks, you know, you, Swimming to the shore, it's a long, long ways, and if you're not a great swimmer, your chances of surviving that accident are just are not good. So I just I can't stress enough to, to wear your life jacket at all times. And what are most of the accidents caused by? Um, people falling overboard or um, a collision with a fixed object or another boat and becoming ejected from their boat. Okay, and but how have we done, like, I guess, compared years to years? You guys keep track of those numbers? We do, and uh, we're seeing an interesting development here, and it's not a good one, to be honest with you. In 2019, we had a record low number of fatal boating accidents on Tennessee waterways, and that was eight for the entire season, and that's something we were very happy about. But then 2020 came, and we had... Um, probably the highest number in the past two or three decades, uh, we had 32 fatalities on Tennessee waterways. So we've already had eight this year, just coming up on really the official kickoff of boating season. So we're we're kind of concerned. So we just want people to take note that 32 fellow Tennesseans went to the water last year to have a good time. That's why we go and we don't think about something bad or tragic happening while we're out there but it happens to 32 people and it could happen to you because we all suffer from the it won't happen to me mentality you know be it you know i'm i'm not going to put my seatbelt on just going down the road or what's it hurt if i text and drive you know it's it's not going to happen to me but it does and it can and it will so just be prepared when you get out there to to keep yourself safe and and the responsibility of the, the boat operator for the people inside the boat to, just to make sure everyone gets home safely because it's, you know, anytime you go out on the water, you're putting yourself at risk. And we just we want everybody to go home at the end of the day. We want them to have a good time, but to go home at the end of the day. There are many ways of preventing boating incidents. And I know big concern is alcohol with boating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we all know what the effects of alcohol are. You know, it's a central nervous system depressant and it slows your body down and it on the water the effects of alcohol are intensified due to uh, the vibration of the engine just due to being in a fluid environment where that boat is rocking back and forth wind sun glare dehydration just all these stressors really intensify the effects of alcohol when you're on the water so people become more impaired when they're on the water than they would on land so you know I, I'm, to give you an exact number of how one beer would equal uh, two or three um, on land. I, I can't really do that, but just rest assured that alcohol is going to affect you worse when you're on the water to do those stressors. So I would encourage to not have alcohol on a boat and to, to not use it at all because, you know, even if you have a sober operator, your passengers are at risk when they consume or over consume alcohol and they do, people do dumb things under the influence of alcohol and 
they jump out of boats going down the, the lake underway and they uh, decide to jump off the top of a pontoon boat. Sometimes they clear the edge, sometimes they don't. And just bad things happen when people overindulge um, I mean, alcohol. So if, if you don't consume it or use it or no one in your boat does, um, you're going to prevent probably some serious injury or fatal accidents as well because uh, a lot of times when alcohol is involved in a boating accident, um, it is a fatal incident. So just avoid using it at all if you do uh, decide to have alcohol in your boat designated sober operator and just uh, encourage your passengers to uh, to drink responsibly and if, if they're going to consume alcohol to wear a life jacket because a lot of times people fall just fall out of the boat when they're impaired and they they sink and that's it so putting a life jacket on them is a is another good way to uh, to keep people safe if they are going to drink. TWRA, you guys are always out there anytime during the summer and the boating season Probably a little even more so during the big holiday weekends and where there are events held on the water. You know, since COVID hit, we're seeing an increase in outdoor activity um, in general. And it's a good thing, you know, more people are hunting and fishing and there are also more people boating. Our boat registrations are up several thousand uh, over what they were from uh, 2019. So there are more boats on the water. There are a lot of inexperienced uh, boaters on the water so you know taking a boating education class would would help you be prepared to be out there and uh you know twr is just we have to be out there and be visible and be looking for uh reckless and dangerous um operation of boats uh, to keep people safe out there so yeah expect to see more boaters out there also expect to see more uh, law enforcement on the waterways this holiday weekend and we're, we're not out there to ruin your your day or your weekend we're out there just to make sure you go home safely at the end of the day and that's one of the most important roles that twra has is the the safety of the citizens and i think um, on the water is probably uh, the time that it is most important for us as an agency right and you guys can just pull up to any boat it's not like oh they have a light out or anything like that you could just pull up and say hello at any time right yes we do have inspection authority to, to stop and board any vessel on the water to check for compliance with state and federal Boating regulations, um, not saying that that will happen. You know, a lot of times our officers are looking for a reasonable suspicion or a probable cause that there is a, a violation there, you know, particularly if it's a safety situation. So, yeah, we could uh, we could stop you and inspect your boat. Um, but if you, um, you know, just to, for example, if, if people are seated where they're supposed to be in a boat, they're sitting down inside the boat, um, children have their life jackets on, your boat registration is current and displayed on both sides and you're not operating in a reckless manner, you're probably not going to get stopped and inspected by us. So, you know, do your part to uh, make sure your, your boat and your party is safe and you probably won't have any issues with us. But uh, when, when people go to go inside no wake zones and uh, at above an idle speed or they're uh, acting in an erratic manner, They've got children with no life jackets on. People are sitting on the bow or up on top of the seat backs or on the edges of the boat where they can fall overboard. Or at night, you don't have your lights on or displayed properly. You know, all those things are going to draw attention to you, and you're more than likely going to get get stopped by us, and you could receive a, a citation for it or, or an arrest in the case of uh, boating under the influence of alcohol. So you know, do your part and try to keep yourself safe out there and uh, you probably won't get a lot of attention from us and that's a good thing. That is a good thing but 
You do get cited. What are the fines like for a BUI? Is that very similar to a DUI? Yeah, BUI, boating on the influence of alcohol, is the most serious violation that we have on the water. And it's a Class A misdemeanor, just like uh, driving under the influence on the highway is. And the fines are similar. You're looking at about $250 plus court costs and uh, could be up to 11 months, 29 days in jail. And you're probably going to lose your boating privileges for up to a year. So it's a, it's a pretty pretty hefty uh, penalty for uh, for BUI. So once again, this, you know, don't don't drink and operate a boat. Um, designate a sober operator. And if you don't have alcohol on board at all, then you're um, you're really two or three steps ahead of the game there. And, and that also accounts for drugs as well. You know, uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of drugs in society and we do see those on the waterways as well. So can't operate a boat under the influence of drugs or alcohol in the state of Tennessee. A lot of times when we think of boating, we're thinking of power boats, but can't forget those folks paddling their way down our rivers. Yeah, the number of paddlecraft has increased probably even more than the number of uh, powered vessels on the waterways in the past few years. Um, paddle sports like canoes and kayaks and stand-up paddle boards um, are growing in popularity. And there's there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but I would think um, one of them is uh, that the cost of them is much, much less than a powered boat. And you, know, you can go and pick up a, a canoe or a kayak a lot of times for just a few hundred bucks. Um, at big big box stores and and get out there and you're on the water and and that's a good thing but at the same time they're inherently dangerous just because uh, they're a lot of them are very um, unstable and you could be thrown in the water you probably are going to fall off or roll that thing over at at some point and if you're not wearing a life jacket if you're separated from it then you're you're in a very dangerous situation so we strongly encourage the wear of personal flotation devices. When you're on one of those, um, even though the law only requires children 12 and under uh, to, to have them on, but you do have to have your life jacket with you on any kind of paddle craft, and, uh, including stand-up paddle boards. Um, I don't know. Some folks may think that's, that's different from a canoe or a kayak or a boat, but it's a conveyance on the water. Uh, you do have to have life jackets on those things uh, as well. And so we've seen uh, several drownings in the past few years from people in paddlecraft and there's a uh, probably a lot of reasons for that but hazardous water conditions or moving water conditions account for a lot of those where people just they end up capsizing them and get separated from their boat and can't get back to safety so do your homework before you go paddling if you buy one and take it to the water it doesn't have to be registered if it doesn't have a motor on it so that's another benefit of it so Make sure uh, you know the water conditions that you're going into ahead of time. And there's a website called uh, AmericanWhitewater.org that will tell you all the different rivers in Tennessee. And you can look at what class they are, you know, how dangerous they're rated. You can look at the um, the flow and see how much water's coming down those rivers. You know, it could be uh, rains upstream that's going to cause the area that you're going to be boating on to, uh, to become more hazardous. So just once again, do your homework, understand the hazards of the waterway, the river, or creek, or stream that you're going to be paddling on, and then just know it ahead of time so you can be prepared. And watch out for bears. <laughs> yeah, always be on the lookout for bears, <laughs> especially here in East Tennessee. Uh, that's a whole other 
can of worms right there. Have you seen many this year? I remember a picture, was it last year or the year before, of uh, one bear swimming across over, it was at Cherokee Lake, I believe. We do get uh, word of them swimming from time to time. Uh, I've only seen it personally one time on Douglas Lake, but they're, they're good swimmers, and uh, they can swim a long ways. But your chances of seeing one swimming are probably pretty low. It's nothing I'd be concerned with. I'd be more concerned with uh, being in the, the touristy areas where people are, are feeding them intentionally, throwing food to them. That's, that's where you got to be on guard for the black bears. Well, we're going to get back in the water, hopefully without any bears, with our life jackets on and... There you go. That's uh, I think that's a recipe for having a safe and fun holiday weekend. All right, Matthew Cameron with uh, TWRA, thank you so much for your time. You have a great weekend, great season, actually, out there on the water. Thanks, Michelle. You too. Tis the season for family road trips. Also that time of year where you'll see more TDOT crews out and about working on projects. That's why we're checking in with Mark Nagy this morning, spokesperson for the Tennessee Department of Transportation, to see which projects they're focused on, what we can expect. But first of all, Mark, did the pandemic affect TDOT in any way? Well, I mean, the pandemic has affected all of our lives, and certainly TDOT has been no exception to that. Uh, We've had to make sure that all of our crews and our contract crews have all the proper personal protective equipment. The last thing that we want is anyone uh, getting sick on the job. And then in terms of just getting road work done, it has slowed things somewhat. The good news is that we're able to catch up on a lot of those projects that maybe had been slowed a little bit. It was a new normal. That was something that we had to get used to. uh, And I think that the department has done a good job with that. Oh, wonderful. And uh, with it being spring now, uh, what what projects are we looking at or can we look forward to as drivers? Well, fortunately, we have a lot of road work upcoming. This is the time of year where you see our crews and our contractors out there uh, doing a lot of different things on our interstates and state routes. Uh, You know, a bit of good news, the first section of the Alcoa Highway project from Maloney to Woodson near the UT campus Uh, should actually be completely finished and open to new alignment uh, this summer. So that's certainly good news for the Alcoa Highway project. Um, And then folks always want to know about paving. And two of the major paving projects that we have coming up this over the next uh, few months, uh, one was going to be on I-40 from the Loudoun County line all the way to close to Lovell Road. And then also there's going to be a portion of I-640 that will be paved. That's from close to I-275 all the way to I-40 on the west side of town. So those are a couple of the uh, major paving projects. We also have another one coming up resurfacing on I-75 from I-40 to a bridge over the Hotchkiss Valley Road. That's about five more miles of paving. Also, there's going to be improvements to the interchange on I-640 at Millertown and Washington Pike. Work on that is supposed to begin this summer. So uh, certainly we've got a lot of... uh, Uh, A lot of things going on, and uh, we always try to stress to folks, anytime you see those orange cones and barrels, make sure that you slow down because you're in a work zone, and and those folks are working very, very close to oncoming traffic. It's dangerous work that they do, and we want to keep them safe. Oh, absolutely. And, Mark, I heard you saying resurfacing, paving. Is that the same thing? Yes, resurfacing and paving uh, are the same thing. Uh, So that's something that we'll – be doing a lot of over the next uh, few months. 
Okay. What about those potholes? I know people probably get on you about those potholes constantly. Well, unfortunately, no one's come up with a way to not have potholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so we, we do our best to fix them uh, when we can. Um, you know, this is also the time of year where we see a lot of potholes as well. You get more precipitation. Uh, the, the freezing thawing cycle with, has, has gone, but a lot of those cracks remain. So if folks see potholes in their area, we want them to let us know about it. Uh, they can call us at 865-594-2408, or they can email us at tdot.comments at tn.gov. Uh, you know, in Region 1 specifically for TDOT, that's our 24-county region, which, stre- which stretches from uh, Scott, Morgan, Roan County, all the way to Upper East Tennessee. We're responsible for over 9,000 lane miles on interstates and state routes. So we have our crews monitoring roadways every day. But we don't see everything immediately. So that's why we rely on the public to let us know what they see. I, I was out with uh, one of our pothole patching crews a few weeks ago on I-40. And, again, kind of like I have mentioned before, it's such dangerous work that they do. And they're sometimes only about a foot away from traffic. And even if you think, oh, 20, 30 miles, in a work, miles an hour in a work zone isn't that fast, well, unfortunately, it is. Because it can, if you're not concentrating 100% on being behind the wheel, then some very dangerous things can happen. We've had 112 TDOT employees die in the line of duty since those records started being kept in the in the late 1940s, uh, and we want them to get home safe every day. Oh, absolutely, gosh, we got to slow it down, especially in those work zones. We got to slow it down. Period. Well, I'm speaking for myself, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when we you do the resurfacing and paving, and say like Six Forks, I know that that's a problem zone. I know a lot of people in our building are always like, oh, potholes on Six Forty, Six Forty. Now, wouldn't that resurfacing and paving doesn't that help prevent or fill those potholes? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of areas sometimes that are in the middle of construction where you have all that heavy machinery going in and out and that causes potholes and what we'll try to do after those construction projects take place is uh, instead of just pothole patching we try to do put a a fresh sheet uh, on the on that roadway so when we're having something like i-640 we can't immediately do a long-term resurfacing project that's something that's just not Uh, We're not financially able to do all the time. So that's why you have temporary patches take place. Something like we have coming up over the next few months on I-640, that's a full resurfacing project. So that's something that then hopefully uh, our crews don't have to keep going over certain areas again and again and again. Uh, So when you see crews out there, sometimes what's called throw and go, uh, they patch those potholes Unfortunately, knowing that if you get more precipitation and more cars going over them, you could end up having to patch the exact same pothole uh, a day or two later. What we're mm-hmm. talking about here for I-640 in the next few months is there's going to be a section that is completely resurfaced, uh, and that will make it for a smoother drive for, for folks in East Tennessee. Okay. And one again, can we tell the folks about 640, getting that resurfacing, that it should be a smoother ride? Yes, that should be taking place here in the next couple of months, uh, but I, I certainly know that it's going to be taking place before the fall. So it might not even be before summer? 
Uh, well, I mean, let's see. We've got a couple of months left in summer or in spring officially, so mm-hmm. it is possible that it does move into summer, yes. Okay. Is there a certain like way you guys decide which project to start on and finish or move to? Well, one thing that, that I hope that folks realize is that Tennessee is a pay-as-you-go state, and that means that we don't move forward on any stage of a construction road construction project without knowing that that funding is in place. Uh, the bad news is that sometimes that means that we get to things later than we would like. The good news is that we're not leaving millions of dollars of debt for our children and their children. I mean, I, I've been to other states, and unfortunately, they're still paying off roadway projects from uh, decades ago sometimes. So that's the, uh, the good news, bad news uh, part of it. In terms of how we decide what projects to prioritize, uh, we work with our local uh, local partners, uh, local government officials, uh, roadway planning organizations, uh, and with the, after those discussions, we come up with what's called the three-year plan, and that's where we budget different construction projects in their different stages uh, in the next three years. But doesn't it help with the gas taxes that we're paying? Uh, yes, the gas tax. I mean, remember, ta- our department is funded uh, from the gas tax, so we've been able to get more projects done uh, over the next few or over the past few years because of that um, because of that increase in the gas tax, uh, which is part of the Improve Act under under Governor Haslam. Um, so that that's certainly been a good thing. And remember, that also helps pay for just the uh, the normal maintenance that we have to uh, have every day on our Tennessee transportation network. Like what other projects have been involved with that gas tax? Well, I mean, the main one here in East Tennessee has been the Alcoa Highway Project. That's something that's uh, in seven stages throughout Knox and Blount counties. Uh, That's a project that folks have been looking for for the past couple of decades. Anybody that's made that drive, you know, around the airport all the way to campus parts of Blount County uh, realized that that was work that needed to be done. And we hadn't been able to undertake that as much as we had wanted to. And getting those seven stages in the pipeline, uh, having the Improve Act in place, uh, certainly uh, moved that forward. Had we not had that project in place, it's possible that it could have been another 10, 20 years after that, uh, that we would have finally been able to get to it. And that's including like widening it to four lanes on each side? Yes. But yeah, you have uh, I think it's three stages in Knox County and four in Blount County or, or vice versa uh, in terms of sections. Uh, and that is uh, widening, having different on and off ramps, basically, so that, that folks can, can get around. So that's a, a very extensive project, you know, which I think is around 10 to 12 miles in completion. Mm-hmm. And then there are areas in Blount County where you're basically having an entirely new road. So it's quite the undertaking, but one that eventually is going to make for uh, safer travel and more efficient travel for motorists in East Tennessee. When can we look at completion? I would have to look at the timeline, but I do, again, I do know that you've got the section from Maloney to Woodson that's going to be complete this summer, but other sections of that, I mean, we're going into at least six, seven years down the line. Again, I'd have to look specifically to see what the timeline is, but you're looking at probably the next six, seven years at least until everything is complete. I, I know that there's a couple of sections that, you know, they're in the design phase. Unfortunately, projects like that, something that is that much of an undertaking, it's not something that you can just, 
you know, pop out there and, <laughs> and, have a, and start a section. You've got to go through design. You've got to go through environmental. You've got to go through right of way. And again, you have to make sure that that funding is in place. Right. And then having to clear, because I know you guys have cleared up property along the sides too to make it wider. Uh, yes. And that, again, that goes to part of the right of way process because sometimes you have to make sure that you have that land. I mean, we have a lot of, a lot of our construction projects are already on state land. But then there are others that you have to obtain property to do that. So, And if anybody wants to know more about the Alcoa Highway Project, uh, just go to that TDOT website at tn.gov slash TDOT and do a search for Alcoa Highway. We've got all those web pages on our website. All right. Sounds like you guys are busy. We're trying to be, Michelle. And uh, one other note I, I did want to pass along. I hope that folks realize that it is dangerous work that our crews do. 112 EDOT employees passed away in the line of duty. Anytime driving through a work zone, be extremely careful and concentrate 100% on being behind the wheel. Some good advice there. Mark Nagy, spokesperson for Tennessee Department of Transportation. Thanks for joining us and everybody drive safely out there. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm Michelle Silva. Thanks for listening. Remember, East Tennessee Now is available on demand as a podcast from iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. I'm Michelle Silva, and I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to East Tennessee Now, a weekly public affairs program featuring some of the people and organizations that make Knoxville and East Tennessee such a great place to live. If you have a suggestion for the program, we'd love to hear from you. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 27100, Knoxville, Tennessee 37927. Or call the studios at 865-525-6000. That's 865-525-6000. East Tennessee Now is a presentation of Midwest Communications Company.